0: Welcome to the Nash Biz Podcast, a podcast specifically for business owners in Nashville, Tennessee. Whether you're seeking the best strategies for scaling your business, networking opportunities, or just plain old entertainment, this podcast is for you. Welcome to the show. What's up, everybody? My name is Brady Morgan. I am one of the hosts on the NashBiz podcast with my business partner and other co host John Trusty. Today, we got Greg Sclute. He is the CEO of Crystal, the app that tells you anyone's personality. Using AI, Crystal accurately identifies a person's motivations, communication style, and other traits. Thousands of professionals globally use Crystal to communicate more effectively, write more persuasively, and build trust faster with new people. Previously, Greg was CEO of attend.com, an event management software company, and VP of Growth at NetPulse, a fitness technology company. Greg was recognized by Forbes as 30 Under 30 in Enterprise Technology, and his company has been featured in Inc., Fortune, CNN, Fast Company, MIT Technology Review, Wired, and The Guardian. He is also the co-author of a book published by Wiley, Predicting Personality Using AI to Understand People and Win More Business. Greg, how's it going, man?
1: Good, good, Brady. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. That's uh, That's quite the bio. Very quite the bio. So, I was
1: gonna say, I haven't heard anybody read it that fast. It's uh, (laughs) when you you pack it in, it it does sound like a lot. (laughs) No,
0: it's a lot, but it's good. It's good. So, give us the rundown of what we need to know about Greg that wasn't included in that intro. Oh, gosh, know, we packed so much in there too.
1: Well, you know, (laughs) I I think, um, I have always been super passionate about entrepreneurship, and I know that's kind of the theme of the Nash Fizz podcast. I think I started my first company, real company, when I was 14 years old, um, fixing computers and building websites um, for small businesses in my town in New York, um, and I've just been really passionate about technology and entrepreneurship ever since. I um, have started a couple of other companies along the way, uh, some of them decent, some of them train wrecks. Um, we're hoping that the Crystal will be more on the, on the former, <laughs> and, uh, and otherwise, happy to, to get into some of these good topics today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so let's dive into Crystal, given that your most recent venture. How did this come about? I mean, obviously, you know, as an entrepreneur, you have to see a problem because you're going to create a solution to that problem. So what problem are you trying to solve with Crystal?
1: Yeah, Crystal was born out of some pretty visceral pain that uh, my my business partner and I had. So we had started another company after graduating school up in Boston called Attend.com. It was software for event planners, kind of like a enterprise version of Eventbrite. Uh, we were almost, we had maybe been out of school for one year. We had absolutely no idea what we were doing, uh, but, but we ended up raising money pretty quickly. We raised a million dollars in funding um, from a, a VC firm in town, um, really quickly built up the company, uh, maybe a little too quickly um, before we had you know, maybe true product market fit. Um, lo- long story short, we ended up in a crazy situation where my co-founder and I actually got forced out of the company, um, technically fired from our own company, um, n- nearly two years into that venture. So um, a-, a pretty wild kick in the face um, and a very good learning experience. Um, as we were going through it, we we got introduced to this personality framework called DISC. Um, we, we had a management coach uh, that came in and kind of helped us navigate some of the tricky situations with our, with our investors. And without ever meeting them, he would be able to almost predict what they'd say next. It was, it was kind of remarkable. And we would ask him, how the heck are you doing this? And it turns out he was using this this personality framework called DISC, a, a really simple, almost like a language that can help you better understand how people behave and how they communicate and how they're motivated. Um, and we were just floored by this. I mean, it was just, it was so crazy. Um, unfortunately, it was too little too late. We still did get canned. Um, but as we were kind of uh, a- after that, and this is kind of the summer of 2014 now, we, we almost had this... This running joke of could we build a robot version of our management coach, uh, a piece of software that could identify somebody's personality um, type or their disc type, and then coach almost whisper in the ear of the user how to better interact with that person, um, how they might communicate, how uh, well, what their preferences are. And so ideally, whether you're selling or team building, or attempting to hire, um, you know, collaborating as investors and board, or whatever it might be, um, you could build a, a stronger, kind of more empathetic relationship where everybody really understands each other. So that that is the the crazy way that the crystal came into the world.
0: That's interesting. So I, I imagine, you know, personalities are very hard to read. Uh, you know, very unpredictable. Humans are unpredictable in general. So. How do you deal with that unpredictability by utilizing AI? It's have to, it's got to be pretty smart and ha- probably have to have tons of different scenarios for how people can act.
1: Yes, yeah, so DISC does a lot of a lot of that work too. So DISC okay. is a is a personality framework. It's been around for for over a hundred years, and it dates back the kind of technology behind it. Technology kind of the framework behind it dates back kind of fa- thousands of years. Um, and, and basically, the idea is that while everybody is unique. We tend to bucket, especially from a behavioral standpoint, into a couple of core groups, and in DISC, they're called D, I, S, and C. They're um, acronyms for, um, for different categories of personality traits, okay. um, and it is not designed to be hundred percent precise. It's not designed to say this is how somebody will act all the time. But what we what what we and everybody that uses disk and it's very, very widely used, especially in the business world, has found is that it is a really good indicator of how someone will act um, most of the time under kind of fairly standard conditions, particularly in kind of professional communication um, scenarios. So we, we use disk as kind of that scientific kind of backstop um, that kind of helps power a lot of it. Um, with regards to the AI and kind of how Crystal works, Essentially, when you take a personality test and anybody can go take a free personality test on Crystal right now, um, and you'll see that it'll walk you through a, a qu- uh, about 15 questions. Each question has you select um, from four words, which word sounds most like you and which word sounds least like you. And you go through about 15 of those and pick the words. Now, based on your selections, the algorithm runs and, and figures out that the ideal disk type or personality type for you. Um, on the prediction side, and, and the way people use Crystal is if they know somebody, they typically have them take the personality test. This might be a job candidate, uh, um, a coworker, etc. And then for people that they don't know, i.e. A, maybe a job candidate they haven't talked to yet or a potential customer, that's typically you know one of the biggest ones, a potential investor. Um, they can analyze a piece of biographical text. Typically it's a LinkedIn profile. It could also be a resume. And when we write our LinkedIn profile, we kind of purposely put in words that we like that describe us. Now, each word we don't put as much thought into, not the same as when we're taking that personality test. So you need a lot more than 15 words. But if you have a big chunk of words in a LinkedIn profile or resume, each one contributes a, a, contributes a little bit of insight into building a personality profile. And we found that on average, um, with, with a decent with decent sized LinkedIn profile, we, we have about 80% accuracy. So about four out of five LinkedIn profiles we can scan just based on how you've written about yourself, how you've described yourself, how you've described your um, responsibilities, your job titles, um, that can give us a pretty remarkable picture of your personality uh, based around disk.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I, I could see this working very well for Uh, companies that are hiring, you know, outside of the podcast, we run a a overseas staffing company and you run into people all the time that the most important thing when you're hiring is in my opinion, character, are they going to be a good fit culturally? And that's so hard to determine um, without testing on it. The issue is when you do test on it, people don't want to do the tests, right? They don't because they're long sometimes. So I could see this as being a really good solution if it isn't already, if for people who are hiring just to kind of get you know, what's their personality like? How should we interact with them? How can we motivate them, et cetera?
2: Even going the other way, Brady, it, it, using it for our clients to find, to match them with assistants that fit their personality type or complement their personality type.
1: Absolutely. We actually have customers that do exactly, um, what, uh, uh, John, what you just described, um, and certainly on the, on the hiring use case, it is, it is very prevalent. And it's, and, and, and what we tend to find, it's not that we're looking for a good versus bad personality. Um, it's more of what is the type of personality that's going to be, um, we say most energized in this role. So for example, if your personality lends towards um, being really people oriented, really um, kind of like, like to spend a lot of time interacting with people and et cetera, um, right, a a role where all you do is look at spreadsheets on a screen and don't have to talk to anybody. It's not that you physically couldn't do it. You could force yourself to do it, but you'd burn out. It would it would suck up so much energy. Um, and in the reverse, we have somebody who's really great, like maybe uh, writing code or working in spreadsheets, and they have to do customer support. It's not that they physically can't talk to a customer. They can, but if that was their job all day, every day they kind of go crazy. They wouldn't have any fun, they wouldn't the energy would be sucked right out of them because they're mm-hmm. spending so much to, to get their job done. So, if we can understand that prior and actually think about okay, based on the core responsibilities of this role, what is most important um in in personality traits and let's a look for people that match and then if there's someone we like that doesn't match, let's ask some really specific questions around Hey, it seems like your natural style might not align to this. Have you kind of adapted? How have you maybe adapted professionally um, to handle these kinds of traits, these kinds of responsibilities um, without getting over- overly drained?
0: Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's great. And I think, you know, that's going to be huge, especially in the hiring and HR world. But with Crystal, it seems like a problem you're solving is is large, at what point do you reach that goal where you can say what I set out to do with crystal I've achieved and I'm ready for the next venture. If there is one. Mm.
1: It's, it's hard because I I feel like it's always a moving goalpost. And I, I don't Mm. know if that's specific to crystal. It's kind of always felt that way. As soon as you hit the, hit a milestone, it's like, okay, great. That's the, let's like celebrate the win, but then there's immediately another milestone. Um, It's, it's, it's that, um, there's that recent book, The Never-Ending Game, Limitless Game. I'm, bl- I'm blanking on the exact one. Um, but the, the whole point of like, when, especially in business, it's not like it's a game and you win and it's done. It's, there's always a way to expand, a way to grow. Um, there's, there's no end point. So it, it's always been tough because whenever we feel like we've, we've made good progress, it's like, well, then what's, what's, what's the next milestone? How do we raise the bar?
0: I've kind of always thought that, and this might be kind of off base here, That entrepreneurs or business owners never actually reach their goals because as they're about to reach that milestone that they set, they've already set a new one in their mind because they know they're going to hit it. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I truly think that people never really hit their goals, especially the high achieving ones. Cause you know, I want to make $10 million this year. Okay. I'm on pace to do it. I'm going to make a hundred million dollars. You know, you're already looking to that next milestone. So you never really hit it in
2: my opinion. Never satisfied. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. I, I think
1: it is a, it's a blessing and a curse. Exactly mm-hmm. what John said. It's, it's, it's like a insatiable thirst you can't quench. Um, and that can be really frustrating. I yeah. think especially when you build up in your mind how exciting, just to use Brady's example, let's say, you know, we sold a company for $10 million, which for many people would just be unbelievably extraordinary. Um, and then I think I, I, I've, certainly, I've talked to people that have had those types of outcomes. And it's fascinating how much it's like almost anticlimactic Mm-hmm. And then they sit thinking, "Well, now what do I do? I was working so hard for this. This is what I had up on the goalpost. Now I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't know how to how to move forward with with the next goal. But it's not like I got it and I'm done. I still have the the thirst to, to do more and move on mm-hmm. to the next thing. Um, so it's 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 an interesting problem to have.
0: Yeah. yeah, I wonder if it's if that's a healthy problem to have though. <laughs> you know, if you're never satisfied. Are you always striving for, you know, I, some worldly goal that you may never hit? You know, I, I think it's an interesting concept.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I I think it's probably a blessing and a curse. There's probably some elements of it that are not super healthy. And that's probably yeah. why entrepreneurs could, could often be uh, be pretty stressed.
0: Yeah. So, so let, let's circle back for a second because you, you mentioned something in the intro about attend.com, how you started that company and then you got kicked out of it. Uh, I think the most popular story about that is Steve Jobs starting Apple, getting kicked out of it. There's a lot of stories about that, but how, first of all, how does that work? How do you get kicked out of your own company? I'm assuming with investors, they have more control, they can do what they want. But how do you bounce back from that? I imagine the, the mental and emotional despair that you have from getting kicked out of, I would say your baby, you probably worked night and day on something like that. Like, how do you deal with that? How do you get back up?
1: Yeah, it, it was tough. Um, I mean, technically, it's it's unfortunately pretty straightforward, but some good lessons to learn for next time. If, if an investor has more shares of stock than you, each each share votes. Um, and there's lots of technicalities on, on how that could work. But basically, you sell too much of the company and and you could technically get fired from it. So uh, a, a, good, a good lesson to learn um, <laughs> that, 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 that I didn't learn in school. So uh, luckily, we, we learned the lesson pretty early. Um, yeah, it, it was definitely tough. Um, I was pretty depressed afterwards, pretty emotionally messed up. Um, I ended up moving and that really helped. Um, I was in Boston at the time um, and just felt like I had to get out of there and, and try something new and, and picked up and, and moved to San Francisco and kind of figured, all right, this is where a lot of the cool technology entrepreneurship is happening. I grew up, I had never really been to the West Coast, um, so it all felt very new. And, and that was definitely just personally very therapeutic, having a, a, a fresh start. Um, and I've heard from others kind of similar experiences where when they get that fresh start, especially from a move to a new city or a new region, uh, th- that could really help. Um, I-, I think for me, I probably tried to jump too quickly into something new where maybe taking a break in between would have been good. Um, I felt such an urge to, okay, let's just immediately find the next thing. Um, when, when perhaps that wasn't necessarily as urgent as, as it was in my head. Uh, but yeah, definitely a very, very tough experience to go through.
0: So, you know, for other entrepreneurs out there, the audience of this show is going to be people probably around the Nashville area, middle Tennessee area that are either currently business owners, um, aspiring business owners, veteran business owners, et cetera. And I think they can all learn something from this. So like I mentioned before, it's easy to talk about successes, easy to talk, easy to talk about, you know, how much money you raised, what's crystals doing now, but it's even more powerful to talk about the struggles. And this is a struggle. This is probably the very first, I'd say professional struggle you had. know, it was a large one. Not many people have to go through getting kicked out of their own company. So for, for people out there listening, going through something like this, I mean, what do you tell yourself? Right. I mean, you're, you're depressed and not everybody is going to know what's going to be therapy to them, you know, for you moving across the country. I and mean, what do you tell yourself? How do you get back up? How, how do you keep pushing forward towards a goal when you, probably every goal dream you've had was just crushed?
1: Yeah. I mean, p- part of it's certainly time. Um, you know, I definitely had the, the benefit of a lot of really great mentors um, and a bunch of people I can kind of talk through and bounce stuff off through and kind of work, work through some of those kind of challenges and thoughts and feelings. Um, with with other entrepreneurs. So that was definitely helpful. The, the, the piece of advice I would give um, to other people who, who are going through that circumstance, I've had the opportunity to do that now a bunch because I've learned that, unfortunately, it happens more often than you'd think. Um, right now, it feels so bad, but there will be a time in the future where you will be so grateful that you had this experience, mm-hmm. both because you got to go through it and you're kind of like, getting an MBA overnight um, or an entrepreneurial MBA kind of trial by fire. Um, You are learning so much at such a rapid pace by going through an intense experience like that. And then B, the thing you will end up doing afterwards will likely be significantly better um, because you took all the learnings and applied it. And once that thing's established, you'll look back and go, Oh, I am so glad I'm in this new thing and not that other thing. Like, this is great. And if, and, and if this terrible experience hadn't have happened, I wouldn't have gotten pushed into doing this much better thing. So thank you for pushing me into doing this much better thing and perhaps getting me out of that, this thing that really wasn't as good as maybe I thought it was. Um, doesn't I always apply, but yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think it's, you're exactly right. I think in the present moment, it's very, very tough. Um, hindsight's always twenty twenty, of course, but you know, when me and uh, he goes by trusty, by the way. So just for that little informal name, When we first started, we started a business that we had no idea what we were doing. It was terrible. And now we moved into this current company that we're running significantly better. It seems like everything goes faster because you know, you now know what you don't know. So you can hone in on no strengths, which I think is key. Um, And it's just better. The foundation is better. The foundation is stronger. And I think in the beginning, especially as young entrepreneurs uh, and for those out there listening, you, you really don't know anything. Business school is great for a lot of things. I have a finance degree. It's great for a lot of things. Um, Running a business is unfortunately not always that thing. (laughs) So they don't prepare you for all the struggles. You know, you're not just wearing the finance hat. You're wearing the HR hat, the operations hat, the marketing hat, the sales hat. And it's hard to balance all of that. It really is hard to balance all of that. Yeah.
1: When, when you go through this kind of stuff, it, it highlights how much you don't know, but also the pace at which you're learning. I mean, especially over the last few years, I, I look back at each year and I think like, wow, you know, 2018, Greg was such an idiot. <laughs> like he was clueless. And then it's 2019. I'm like, or it's 2020. I'm like, wow, 2019, Greg was actually terrible too. I don't, what was he thinking telling 2018, Greg, he didn't know what he was doing. And I'm just, I'm noticing this is a pattern each year, yeah, I'm using year as an arbitrary time period, but like it's almost like each period you are consistently, especially if you are getting involved in new things and getting challenged, you are improving at such a rapid pace by, by especially going through an entrepreneurial path oh, yeah. it is perhaps the, the fastest rate of learning um, that you could go through from a business perspective is by being in a startup, um, whether you whether you're the founder or not, um, you just such a rapid pace of
0: learning. Yeah. Did you ever work corporate out of school?
1: Uh, out out of school, corporate, no. Um, I did an internship um, at Cisco, a computer networking company um, as an undergrad. Um, and then I've kind of alternated between being kind of in more of a founder role or joining a company like NetPulse. I wasn't the fitness technology company in San Francisco that I ended up joining a little bit after a 10.com when I moved out there. Um, I wasn't a founder of that. Um, I got to take a really cool um, leadership role and be a good contributor to it. Um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't call it corporate. <laughs> we, got, we got up right. to about 70 people, which is cool, but, but, but definitely not corporate.
0: No, and the reason I'm asking is because, you know, I've worked that corporate path before and you mentioned that rate of learning. And when you go corporate, it's such a, such a slower rate of learning. Such a slow rate of learning because I think you're, I don't think you're exposed to the failure. I, I truly do think you learn by failure. I think that 10.com for you, you know, you learn to, you learn not to give someone more ownership of your company, which is something they don't really talk about in college or you're not going to really learn in corporate, you know? So, you know, my, my first job out of college was UBS, which is a 100,000 employee global company. So very slow, moves very slow. And since then, it, it's the rate of growth that's happened since then that's just absolutely insane.
1: Yep. And Brady, actually, it, it, it partially is because of what you described earlier about wearing those different hats. Mm-hmm. When you're at a corporate particularly a larger company, we kind of they need you to do a very specific role and it's to manage risk, you are kind of just doing that, we're not mm-hmm. going to have the finance guy put on an HR hat, that'd be nuts. Um, and an earlier stage company by almost by force, the, uh, the finance guy has to put on an operations hat because there is no operations person. Yep. Um, so it's, it's almost because you're putting on those different hats, And because you don't actually know what you're doing when you put them on, so you're inevitably going to fail. Those things kind of combine to just create this just fantastic um, concoction of, 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 of rapid learning. Um,
0: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think too, it's, it's one of those things where I I truly believe you'll always be behind when it comes to learning that the world moves at such a fast pace But I think there's always so much more to learn. And I think as business leaders, if you approach it that way of, I'm not where I want to be, I don't know everything I need to know. I think that kind of keeps a level of humility with you as well. Um, And I think that allows you to keep pushing. I think that keeps you hungry. It keeps you determined, which is going to lead me to my next question. You know, obviously you have a lot of energy. Uh, You've done a lot of different tech startups. I know Tech startups require a lot of hours, a lot of time, a lot of failures, a lot of testing. What gets you up in the morning? How, how do you keep this energy all day? Because I, I know for a lot of people, burnout's very real. So mm. and I'm not saying that hasn't happened with you, but how do you keep this energy, this motivation, this this drive?
1: Yeah, I, I do think about this because it, it it drives people nuts to hear. I I don't drink any coffee. Um, pretty pretty no, no caffeine actually. Um, <laughs> I just I just pop out of bed at like six AM and I'm just ready to go. Um, which which needless to say could 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 irritate others if I'm around other people in the morning. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I think a lot of it comes from doing something that you actually like to do. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've never felt like work, and I'm doing air quotes here. Um, we, we we can't say it. it's a podcast. Um, yeah. I've, I've never thought of work <laughs> as 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 work, um, as in the sense of something you you, you kind of begrudgingly have to do. There are certainly tasks that I have to do that I don't enjoy. Um, But at the core, if you asked me what I like to do for fun, and and yes, there are some like non-business things, like hobbies I like to do for fun. But at the core, one of the things that probably is the most fun for me is entrepreneurship, is starting a company, building a business. Like that's fun. Um, It doesn't feel like work. Um, I think it's like that saying, if you find something you like to do, you never work a day in your life. I, I definitely feel like for myself and probably many entrepreneurs, they can, um, kind of proudly claim that. Um, I think when you have that, um, it, it's almost like a natural refuel, um, an organic red Bull, if you will, <laughs> um, that, that, that kind of keep, keeps you energized. That's, that's um, why you don't but, need caffeine. That's why you don't need exactly. caffeine. <laughs> uh but, but I, but I, I mean, I will say there are definitely times where it gets tough, like, there's a, a, you lose a customer, you uh, lose an employee. Um, you, you product doesn't work the way you want. You, it looks like you're running out of money. Like there are a lot of times where it's, it's not that the energy goes down, but it's more like, oh crap, we have a mm-hmm. serious challenge to deal with. And that's where it's, it's the downside. It's like, oh, it's a blessing and a curse. The blessing is you feel really, you, you're naturally energized by your work. The curse is when things don't go well, it really eats you kind of from the inside. Yeah. Like you feel it viscerally. Um, that kind of sucks. <laughs> It'd be a lot better if I could just like forget about it after 6 right. p.m. Um, I, I don't know many entrepreneurs that that's the, the way they're wired
2: for better. No, way. I'm the same way. I agree with that. You, you, you'll, you're trying to shut off and you're in bed at, you know, seven or eight o'clock at night, just running through numbers in your head and ways to pump revenue or new marketing tactics. And it's Brady and I'll, I'll wake up the text from Brady and it'll be like 9.30, you shoot me paragraphs of like what we need to <laughs> implement the next day. I think, that's, I think that's common for everybody. I, I'm curious, Greg, what is, what's like your day-to-day? Are you coding, engineering the software? Or are you more on the business sales and marketing perspective, the strategy of it? Or is it a little, little bit of both?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting, especially as a company evolves. And I've heard this a lot and I've experienced a bunch too. It, especially as, in, in a CEO role, your job gets reinvented like at at least an annual basis depending on the the rate you're growing and it's crazy it's like your whole job of what it used to be is completely different there's no nobody officially tells you that But you just Mm -hmm. suddenly are responsible for different things and you're not supposed to do the things you were doing last year and you're just supposed to figure that out. (laughs) So um, it it has evolved wildly. Um, You know, like in the early days of a 10.com, I I coded the first prototype and then Drew, my my business partner, came on who was a better engineer than me and promptly threw out what I built and rebuilt it. Um, But my prototype was good enough to get us to stage zero and then he got us to stage one, et cetera. Um, So, you know, at, at, at Crystal early on, I was doing all the product management, all the project management with our engineers. Um, I was doing some design. Um, I was doing a little bit of everything. Um, As as we've grown, and to give you a little perspective, we're we're about 20 people now, um, and we were about seven a little over a year ago. So we've grown quite a bit um, throughout the last year. Um, It's changed a lot. I've had to really purposefully extract myself from a lot of the tactical things that I was doing before um, because mm-hmm. now in theory, my job is to find a really great person who's better than me at each of those things and make them really successful. Um, now I kind of think, and I definitely like you jump between a lot of places, but I, I'm spending a lot of time, um, communicating and it's sometimes it sounds crazy, but it's like communicating the same thing over and over again to yep. make sure we're all aligned on the same page. Um, yep. I'm kind of thinking about how all the functions fit together and how it fits to our strategy. Um, I'm. I've got to do some tactical stuff with more, more of our finances, but it's, it's really, it's evolved a lot. Um, and some of those of evolutions have been good and some of them have been painful because there were things I really liked to do. Um, I'm very right. operational. I love to get in the weeds. I'm now very purposeful about extracting myself from some of those things that even though I like to do, I know that there's somebody better than me that, that can be doing them um, and I can be doing something different. So it, it's interesting how the day-to-day has evolved. Um, now it's it certainly... It, it I'm spending time recruiting. Um, I'm spending time communicating, um, spending time kind of parachuting in and helping each of our functional areas, um, as needed. Um, it, it very, you very much become more of a utility player. Um, which is fascinating
0: as, as the company grows. Yeah. No, yeah, I think, I think that's great. I mean, John and I
2: we both do run, that.
0: Yeah. Running a company, you're, you're everything, you know, it's whatever, wherever somebody needs you, you're there. Uh, because at the end of the day, right, you probably know more about the company, you and your founders, than anyone. So they're gonna come to you for questions. Do you believe that, especially with a tech company? Because I know on the coding side of engineers is super important. Do you think that, given that's coming back to crystal personality, do you think skills more important? Or do you think culture fit's more important?
2: Mm.
1: Yes, certainly culture fit is just so critical. Um, I think everybody's, everybody who's made a bad culture fit hire can tell you they, they have somebody who's in theory, great on paper, but mm-hmm. if they're not great to work with, um, it, it it's not very fun and usually ulti- ultimately ends poorly. So, and of course, culture fit is such a, it's like a catch-all phrase. It can mean so many different things to different people. Is right. it the right type of personality fit for the role? Is it somebody that shares your values um, your actual cultural values? Um, is it somebody that you can communicate really clearly with, um, you know, I, 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 I think that especially as you grow, you need both. Um, but if I had to pick one to train on, it's a lot easier to train on skills than to train on values.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. When we are placing people, it's always, you know, skill can be learned, skill can be strengthened. But if you have someone who's a piece of crap <laughs> or just not a good person, you can't teach them to not be that way. You know, it's just the way they are and you're, you're going to have more headaches. And I think people chase that skill because I think that's going to get them to the quickest to that next milestone is skill. But I think, you know, what's that phrase? You know, if you want to go fast is if you want to go fast, go alone or something like that. Something about going fast, go together. I don't know. I'm, mm. I'm definitely butchering this, but <laughs> basically talking about definitely talking about the team. You have to have that team that's really close knit and when you're all working together cohesively that's typically when you move the fastest and the, and the most efficiently.
2: For sure. They, they, the new addition to the team has to improve the productivity of the rest of the team, not hold it back or improve the culture, improve the relationship of the team.
1: That's right. Can't and, hurt and, he, and, and when you're it. in an early sort of small company or an early stage company, again, coming back to the comparison of corporate, when you're at an 18 person, 20 person company or a three person company, my goodness, I mean, each person you add makes a substantial difference. I mean, there's just mm-hmm. kind of no cogs in the in the wheel at that point. Um, so we mm-hmm. really have to think about um, every role, does this person align with our values? Are they gonna be somebody that we can communicate clearly with? Um, you know, do they, do they have the baseline of skill and the willingness to um, and competency to learn? Um, if you get that wrong and even one hire, it, it, it can kind of reverberate or, or ripple across the company in a, in a frustrating way when
2: it's small.
0: No, that's a great point because I, I think as your company grows, you know, like UBS for instance, I mentioned they have a hundred thousand uh, employees globally. They can afford to make bad hires because they have so many employees, and that person's there for a very specific reason. They can just rehire. But you're right when you have a smaller team. I mean, that's like a family at that point, and you don't want to bring someone in an outsider that's not going to mesh well with people that you care about and that you spend, you know, seventy percent of your time with. That's right. That's right. And especially coming back to. You know, the
1: responsibilities, if you're, if you're sitting in the CEO seat, I mean, one of the biggest is figuring out who's supposed to be at the table, um, or who's on the bus, and then making sure they can all work really effectively together and have the resources they need to be successful. I mean, in theory, that is a catch-all for much of what, like, mm-hmm. somebody in my seat is, is responsible for. Um, it sounds easier said than done. Um, it's simple, but there's there's obviously a lot of steps to get it right, Um. And that's kind of what the, what the team is relying on, especially in a small company um, bringing on the right people that can get the job done and that everybody wants to work with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So, so Greg, as we start to wrap up, you know, one of these questions that uh, I love asking people, I think as entrepreneurs there's always different problems out there that you want to tackle, but you can't necessarily tackle them at the present moment. Uh, Given your history, you have tackled a few different problems. Are there any problems that you see in the world that you think can be solved by technology that aren't presently solved?
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, where, where do you start? I think when, <laughs> when, I was, when I was thinking about what to do after a 10.com, Drew and I had a joke, we were going spreadsheet hunting where you kind of interview people, especially if you're building kind of software for, for businesses and, and interview people and look for where someone's using a spreadsheet. If they're using a spreadsheet, there's a chance that that process could be made a lot better with a piece of software. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I, I have always been a big fan of, of focus. Um, it's something that, that at crystal historically, it's been harder for us. And it's something we're really investing time and effort into focusing more. So I I know for me, if I have, if I'm trying to balance too much, if I'm thinking about 10 different problems, I'm going to make a small amount of progress in each of them, rather than a meaningful amount of progress in any of them. So I I think luckily the the way I'm wired, different people struggle with this in different ways. I, I tend to like, if I'm thinking about the problems at crystal, well, let me narrow in on that. If my mind is spinning on lots of outside problems, there's probably something broken. I'm probably crystal's probably not getting the full attention it deserves. Um, but certainly for anybody looking for the answer to that question, I found look look for spreadsheets. There's there's a lot of them.
0: Yeah. No, and now it comes back to, you know, a big thing that we've thought about is corporate companies. You know, going back to that, I think that's where the biggest use of technology is needed. Because I tell you what. UBS, these other investment banks, finance companies, all they use is spreadsheets. It's all mm. they use is spreadsheets. Very manual, repetitive work that can probably be automated with technology. They just need to have that problem. They don't want to solve that problem. They need to solve by somebody else.
2: Big companies are wasting time and, and lots of money on this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, They can use software for automation.
0: But I think, too, you know, when you are a big company and you have theoretically unlimited funds, they don't care. Thinking, okay, mm-hmm. I can hire someone for 50, 60 grand a year and have them do this and say like for seven
2: hours a day. <laughs> having a warm body in a desk that they can go hand a piece of paper to. Exactly. I think, yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, there's, but there's always room in those kinds of companies. They're looking for innovation. Um, they, they, Like when you get to that size, yeah, but probably not at, at tremendous fault of their own. There's, there's going to be waste. Um, but I mean, we, we see a lot of like within some of the organizations we sell to, there's like an there's like an innovation function, um, like in their sales department, for for example, that it's, it's their whole job is to explore new technologies, kind of test them out with their large sales teams and figure out what will stick and then pass that to sales enablement. So I think that the savviest of, of companies, whether they're kind of a giant enterprise or even somebody in the middle, is recognize recognizes um, what you just said um, and is trying to actively address it. So I think it's a great point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Greg, you know, one final question as we close. We talked about a lot here. Um, you've done a lot in your entrepreneurial journey. Lots of struggles, lots of success for someone who's you know rising up the ranks. Maybe they're still in college. Maybe they graduated. Maybe they have their own business. Maybe they used to work in corporate. Uh, they want to get to that next level. right? I think there's always a glass ceiling that can be broken through. Just like the milestones, you just have to break through it. You just have to keep going. Mm-hmm. So, what's that piece of advice? How, how, how do people continue to continuously reach that next level without fail? And I know there's going to be failures involved in that journey, of course, but what's that one thing of just say, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going?
1: Yeah, I, I can't guarantee without fail. Um, and there's just so many good, <laughs> good answers to this question. Uh, uh, one that pops out to me as is a, is a really crucial one is building your bench of mentors and advisors. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been such a not so secret weapon. For me, um, I, I found people that are just that are typically like the best ones are a couple of steps ahead of you. So if you're at a seed stage company and someone just raised their series A, for example, that that is such a great mentor because he or she just went through the stuff all the challenges you just went through and has a bunch of very relevant, recent tactical experience that they can lend to you and that you can potentially apply. So I have found that investing in mentor relationships and being really methodical about it, talking to them on a monthly basis, whatever it is, coming prepared with a big list of questions. I've been so pleased with how much, especially in the entrepreneurial community, people are willing to talk to you and give back and, and really talk openly about what you're working on and give you, give you free advice. Um, and typically they'll do it over and over again. Um, and really the, the, they're not looking for anything written in return because somebody else did it for them or does it for them. Um, so that to me is just a major, major way to level up. Um, Brady's, as you were kind of describing, um, and, and something I just, I would encourage everybody to, to think about doing, kind of build their bench of mentors.
0: Yep. Good advice. You're not the first person to say that. I I think it's one of those, uh, like you said, not so secret strategies of having mentors, success leaves clues, find someone who's done what you want to do and just ask. But Greg, I appreciate you coming on, man. Uh, If you're listening, please subscribe. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Greg, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. You've provided a lot of insights, a lot of uh, valuable nuggets that I do believe people can take and apply to their own business lives and probably even personal lives. So Greg, appreciate you coming on, man.
1: Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for
0: having
2: me. Yep, Thanks,
0: Thanks, Greg. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nash Biz Podcast. We post new episodes every single week, and we'd greatly appreciate if you would subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'll catch you next time.